There it is. There he goes. Yeah. Okay, the Pasha. The Pasha's Kuma. What happened? There's other things to be excited about. If his head is turned, is that what it is? Okay, I wanted to uh, to talk about this pasuk. See, Perik Cafe pasuk Tetzayin. The parasha is Truma. The parasha is Truma. V'natate et el ha'aron et ha'idut lecha. So you know that there is an aron. There's an ark, and the ark is described um, carefully. In the parish of Truma, it's made of three boxes, right? The golden one, the wooden one, and another golden one. So it turns out there's gold on the outside and gold on the inside. And then this box has a cover to it, right? You put something on the top of it. And that cover has a name. Do you remember the name of the cover? What? Kaporet. It's called Kaporet, like like cover, right? Kaporet. So how do you put things into the Aron? How do you, you have to take the top off and put it in? Didn't have doors. That's what I mean to say. That and then when the Aron was closed, it apparently remained closed. Now the pasuk says the pasuk that we're interested in is Venatata el ha'aron et ha'edut. Now the word edut. Uh, uh, means uh, witness, aid, edut, the witnesses, the things that witness. So, what is the, what are the edut, or what is the edut? So, Rashi says, "Latata el ha'aron kemok ba'aron ha'edut ha'torah." Shehi le'edut beini uveinechem, shetziviti etchem, mitzvot haktuvot ba. So Rashi says unequivocally that what was in the Aron, in the Beit Hamikdash, was the Torah. Now, when you say Torah, what you mean is the Chamisha Chumshe Torah. They were written on a scroll. They were written on a scroll and everybody agrees that when did this scroll come into existence? There's no difference of opinion. Why? At the end of the 40 years in the desert. What happened during the 38 years from the time of Matan Torah until the end of the 40 years? Moshe Rabbeinu would teach the Torah piece by piece to B'nai Yisrael. So in all cases, it took the full 38 years to teach the Torah and to write the Torah. Now about writing the Torah, as I've said many times, there is a machloket. And the machloket is, was the Torah written bit by bit? You know, Moshe Rabbeinu would teach Torah and then he'd write it down on a piece of parchment. Right? Is that the way it worked? Or 
did Moshe Rabbeinu teach Torah, teach Torah, teach Torah? Everybody could take notes, of course. Everybody who was a student could take notes. But the writing of the Torah, the official writing of the Torah, took place at the end of the teaching of the Torah, like the end of 40 years. But everybody agrees. It doesn't matter whether you say one or the other. Whether the Torah was written piece by piece or the Torah was written all at once, when did the Torah come into existence? At the end of 40 years, right? It came into existence at the end of 40 years. So you say Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, wrote it all at the end of 40 years. So, I mean, he had to put in a good day's work in order to write the whole Sefer Torah. Well, today, if you go to a sofa and you say, I want to buy a Sefer Torah, which is something that happens rather frequently these days, actually, so he says it costs this much and it takes a year. That's what most Sofrim would say, that it takes them a year to write the Sefer Torah. So Moshe Rabbeinu was apparently, according to that opinion, was quite good at it. He was quite good at writing the, the Torah. So if that's what the Torah is, the Torah is what was written down and completed and there at the end of the 40 years, that's the Sefer Torah, so it's a little strange because we know that there was something else in the Aron HaKodesh. Right? The something else in the Aron HaKodesh was the Luchot. Now everybody also knows that there were two sets of Luchot. There was the first one and there were the second ones. The difference between them, of course, is that the first one was smashed to smithereens by Moshe Rabbeinu. Which means, it was the kind of, it turned into what those Egyptians are throwing at each other today. You know, the rocks. But we collected the rocks. There's some kind of a problem. The rocks that were broken were put into a kind of aron. Were put into an aron by Moshe Rabbeinu. Then Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai the second time. Third time, fourth time, whatever time. And he got the new Luchot, which he brought down to B'nai Yisrael. Therefore, what, what was in the Aaron HaKodesh, according to, according to Rashi? The new Luchot, right, real Luchot. The old Luchot, the broken Luchot. And the Sefer Torah. The difference, of course, is that the Luchot broken and otherwise, were put into the Arona Kodesh pretty soon after Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu said, let's get going, let's build, right, Parish of Truma, let's build an Aron. They built the Aron, they put the Luchot in the Aron. The Sefer Torah didn't exist at that time. So that this Pasuk in the Parish of Truma, Vatata El Harod et Haidut, means something like that, like this. Besides whatever else is in the Aron, Viratata et Haron, Viratata el Haron et Haedut. Put a Sefer Torah into that Aron when you get a Sefer Torah. Right now, you don't have a Sefer Torah, so you can't put it into the Aron. Now, about that, about that, there is an interesting machloket. And this machloket is in the picture on page 2. You see the picture on page 2? 
Well, let's just look at this. Uh, I'm sorry. We'll look at the Pasuk. You see the Pasuk in Dvarim on page one. The Pasuk, <laughs> the second, the second uh, uh, source is Lakoch HaSefer Torah Hazveh. V'samtem oto mitzad aron brita Hashem elokechem v'yesham v'cha la'eid. So let's look again. Lakoach. In order to take Sefer Torah Hazem. What Sefer Torah are we talking about? The one that Moshe Rabbeinu just finished. This is Dvarim. Right? Perek Laman Aleph. It's almost the end of the Torah. It's the end of... It's like right before Hazinu. So the end of the Torah. Hashem says, take the Sefer Torah that you have just written. The Samtem Oto. Samtem. You, plural. B'nai Yisrael. Will place it, the Sefer Torah, Bitzad Aron Brit Hashem Elokechem. So these words, Bitzad, Bitzad Aron Brit Hashem Elokechem, could have one of two meanings. Like, what does Bitzad mean? It could mean on the side, in the inside of the Aron, and it could mean on the side, on the outside of the Aron. Although we've never heard of anything being outside the Aron, but the Hebrew, Bitsad, can either be Batsad on the side, inside it, where you usually put things in Aron, or it could be on the outside side of the Aron. What does Rashi say? Rashi says, Bitsad, Aron, Bit Hashem. Rashi says this. Nechleku bochachmei Yisrael b'bava batra. Right, he says there's a machloket. Chachmei Yisrael, those are the emoraim. In this case, tanaim. The tanaim had a machloket. It was like, oh, the tanaim had a machloket. Because they never saw the Aron. These tanaim. So, so what they did was, they, they didn't exactly have a videotaped, like we do. Right? We, it's, it's like a curiosity. If you ask Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda what did the Aron look like, they don't know. But if you ask me, I say, oh, you go to Machon HaMikdash on your, on your computer and it'll say right away what, exactly what it looked like. So because they didn't know what it looked like, they had to fall back on exegesis. They read the Tosuk. And they said, well, what does the Tosuk say? And they were stymied. By this pasuk, mitzad, that said mitzad, Aron brit Hashem elokechem, vayasham bechala eid. Remember what the first pasuk in the parsha Truma says? What does it say? It says, et ha-eidut. Right, you put the eidut, and according to Rashi, that's the Sefer Torah. And according to the Torah, that's the, according to the Torah itself, the eid is the Torah. I mean, that's, that's the age. So what does Rashi say? Bitzad Aron Brit Hashem, Nechleku Bochachme Yisrael, Bevava Batra. Yesh, we have Momrim, Daf, Hayabo Leit Min Ha'aron Mibachutz. A Daf is a shelf. There was a shelf built outside of the Aron HaKodesh, right? And on that shelf, Bishabayamunach, and on that shelf was the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. V'yeshomim mitzad haluchot haya. 
מונח בתוך הארון. That the Sefer Torah was, was placed at the side of the Luchot inside of the Arot. So you have this kind of distressing machloket. And this distressing machloket is that the Tanaim did not know something very simple about how the Aron looked. But one thing we know for certain, one thing we know for certain, there is no mention in the parasha of Truma when the description of the Aron HaKodesh is made of a Madaf. There's no mention of it. So that conceptually, if you are on the side of the opinion that holds that there's a Madaf, so that opinion, that opinion is a variation on what the Aron should have been. There was Aron number one, which was a golden box inside of a wooden box, inside of a golden box with a kaporet, with a cover. That's it. And the secondary Aron had a madaf. And that madaf is not included. But the madaf, uh, but the idea that you have to have a Torah in the Arona Kodesh, in the Arona Kodesh, without a madaf, that is included in the words of the Pasuk. And Rashi says, what's Etaidut? That's the Sefer Torah. So it seems odd. It seems odd there's a Pasuk in Truma, Etaidut, which mentions the Sefer Torah. There is no mention of the, of the Madaf. And yet there's an opinion that holds that there was a Madaf. So I just want you to see. Now we'll look at the second page. <coughs> now you see this picture you see that the picture is like you're looking at the Aron from the top right you're looking into the top they take off the kaporet and this is what you see so according to one opinion the Sefer Torah is mitzad haluchot right and there's the rest of the space is divided into two right the rest of the space is divided into two. In one of the halves you have the luchot that are not broken. In the other half you have the luchot that are broken. So you have all three. Luchot, luchot, and Sefer Torah. That's all according to Rabbi Meir. According to Rabbi Yehuda, you see... No? So, according to Rabbi Yehuda, the bottom picture, you have a box. Right? The box is divided into half. The inside of the box, you have the two sets of luchot. And then there's a shelf. And the Sefer Torah is on the shelf. Now, what created this machloket, what created the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, has something to do with the size of the Aron, with how many Tvachim there are. You see in the top, the top picture, the picture that's attributed to Rabbi Meir, the Torah says that there were, oh, anyway, according to Rabbi Meir, the, the width 
the length, I'm sorry, the length of the of the Aron is twelve Tvachim, which which of course was enough <coughs> for fifteen Tvachim. You see fifteen Tvachim? The you see the measure at the bottom? <coughs> fifteen Tvachim, which left six and six for the for the Luchot and three Tvachim for the Sefer Torah. Whereas according to Rabbi Yehuda there was only twelve and a half tfachim. Had to do with how many tfachim there are in the Amma. But it doesn't matter. The Machloket had something to do with the fact that according to Rabbi Meir, the Aron was bigger, and according to Rabbi Yehuda, the Aron was smaller. And therefore, according to Rabbi Yehuda, there wasn't enough room to put the Sefer Torah in, but, so they put it outside. That's Rabbi Yehuda. That's what Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda says. So, of course, I mean, we're interested, we're just trying to understand what happened here. What happened here? What, what's this machloket between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda in a, in a kind of conceptual fashion? What, what, what is it that they are talking about? One? I would say, I would say this. I would say this, that according to the way the Torah is organized, the parasha of Truma comes before the parasha of the Egel, which is in Kitisa. The, the, the Torah now is Truma, Titzava, Kitisa, Vayako, Pekude. And the story of the Egel as Ahab is a Kitisa, the third of the last five chapters of the book of Shemot. So first, the Torah tells us to build, build the Aaron Kodesh, and then the Masa Egel, and then the Torah tells us again to build the Aaron Kodesh. Now, now everybody agrees that it didn't happen that way. Everybody agrees it didn't happen that way. Where was the Masa Egel? When Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai the first time, then he came down and he broke the Luchot. Then he came down and broke the Luchot. Then he went up later on, 40 days later, and he got the second Luchot, then he came down again and they put it. So, so uh, there's this problem of why is it that there is a command to build the Mishkan before and command the Mishkan afterwards. So many Mepharshim say that there were changes, that the, that the Mishkan that's described in Terum and Tetzaveh is really the way the Mishkan should have been. But because of the Chaita Egel, there were certain variations that came to play. So now let's understand Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. What, vi- what should have been in the Aaron Kodesh according to plan A? What should have been in the Aaron Kodesh? The Luchot that are not broken. The non-broken Luchot and, and the Sefer Torah. But now along comes Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Meir is of the opinion, interestingly enough, that now that there are two sets of luchot that you have to put into the Sefer Torah, into the Arona Kodesh, what is it you're not going to have room for? What? For the Sefer Torah. So, 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 I mean, that's Rabbi Yehuda, I'm sorry. That's Rabbi Yehuda. So you're not going to have room for the Sefer Torah. So how can you fulfill the Pasuk 
How can you do it? What does the Pesach say? You have to have an Eidut. You have to have a Torah in the Aaron HaKodesh. So, so the Chachamim said, okay, maybe a Madaf would be sufficient. Maybe a Madaf would be sufficient. In, in other words, the original plan of the Mishkan does not include the, a reference to the Chet Ega. It's as though the Torah says, this is what the Mishkan should look like. And there's not going to be a Chaita Egel. And therefore you have an Aron. You should be able to put the Sefer Torah in the Aron alongside of the, of the Luchos. Aron came the Chaita Egel and messed it up. And suddenly you have to put both sets of Luchos in the Aron Kodesh. You don't have room. You don't have room. So Rabbi, so Rabbi Yehuda said, Rabbi Yehuda said that a Madaf, a shelf, would be good enough. It would fulfill the original tzivui in the Torah. What's the original tzivui in the Torah? Sabda deidut. That you put the Torah, it sounds like in, but I guess if it's alongside, according to Rabbi Yudha, that's the best you can do. You can't do any better. According to Rabbi Meir, according to Rabbi Meir, since the Aron is bigger, according to his estimate, the Aron is is a 12 Tvachim wide. So that means the original Aron that was built in, that was mentioned in the Pasha of Truma, included the possibility of a Chait, of the Chait Aegel. Uh, because there's enough room for the Luchot Ashleimot, and for the Luchot Ashurot, and for the Sefer Torah. So this is if you wanted to try to explain what the Machloket is about, taking it a step back, I would say the question is, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us to build a Mishkan, which Mishkan was being built? What was the original design of the Mishkan? Did it include the Luchos that were broken? Or did it not include the Luchos that were broken? That's what I would say. But 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 Baker I did everybody would agree that what does don't he, what does it have to include? The Luchos and the Sefer Torah. Because that's what that's what is the center, the heart of our existence. Right? These two things. The fact that the Luchot were given in Har Sinai and the fact that the Torah was taught to B'nai Yisrael, the Moshe Rabbeinu, those two things are like the essence of Matan Torah. That's what Matan Torah is. So now, we have to think about, we have to think about, like, to go backwards, or to go on one step. So why? Why what? Why what? Why do you have to keep the broken luchot? I mean, what does it give you? You're like, why, why do you, why, why do I have to solve a problem if I don't have to have the problem? So I understand the broken luchot was special. They were written by Hakadosh Baruch Hu. They were written at a time when we expected B'nai Israel to be on a higher level. But now they don't really exist. These broken luchot. Why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu leave them someplace? Or, as the parashin Kitisah seems to imply, to build a separate aron for the broken luchot. Why do you have to put them in the same Aron? So that, the, that really the issue is that between... There's a, a further issue between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. 
The Indians will say, according to Rabbi Bey, Rabbi Yehuda, there's a question about whether the broken Lugans were included in the clan. Okay, that's very good. That's a kind of a, a kind of a teirut. But what do I need the broken luchos for at all? So I would like to show you. I'd like to show you this uh, this interpretation of uh, of uh, Tiferet Shlomo. Tiferet Shlomo is the Radomska. I don't know if you. Uh, I'm sure somebody asked their some relative of theirs. Uh, what kind of Hasidim were they in Europe? And they said, Radomska Hasidim. Now, somebody is a Radomska. Oh, yeah, you see? And so, the Teferish Shlomo was the, was the Rebbe, was the Radomska. And he wrote a book called Teferish Shlomo. It's really, it's about Chumash and Moadim. And the first part of Moadim is a, is a uh, commentary on the Sidur. Very interesting commentary, naturally. Hasidim were good at being interesting. And very interesting commentary on the Sidur. And the, the section that we are going to look at is about Nizmo Shir Chanukata Baidli David. What he wrote about that's what we say at the beginning of Davening, right? Ashkenazim, you know, right at the beginning, after Rabbi Yishmuel, you say Nizmo Shir Chanukata Baidli with David, you say it on weekdays, you say it on Shabbat, you say it on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So he wrote this commentary. And this is the text of his commentary. We'll try to go through some of it and, uh, and see what it was that he said. He you He brings up an interesting, an interesting problem that has to do with tefillah. Hinei yadua she tefillah ikar this is a good introduction to tefillah is to think about how great God is and how miserable we are or how miserable the person who is davening is. So he says, but you know, you could get distressed when you think about yourself. That's, a, that's true, everybody knows that, right? You think about yourself, you have to go to a psychologist. So the best thing is not to think about yourself. Think about flowers or butterflies. Don't think about yourself. So the, the Radomsker says, after all, when you stand before God, you have to think, oh, there's God, and there's me. God is big and strong and good, and me, I'm not any of those things. So that could lead me to being depressed. And if I'm depressed, then I, what do I say? I say, well, what's the point of dominating? I mean, what sort of voice could I possibly have being as miserable as I am? Right, so, so why should I daven at all? I'm in line uh, nine. So just at that moment, a person has to have the holiness to be able to say, I can daven. And the words that I'm going to say 
are going to make their way right up to heaven and place themselves before HaKadosh Baruch. This is Radomsky. Radomsky says, this is what davening is. Davening is at the same time recognizing your limitation and understanding that you have this great power, the power of, of tefillah, there's a Pesach in Esther. Esther of Purim is coming up, by the way. You know, it's the next Jewish festival in the calendar. And it's a great festival. I always try to hide in a Purim. Who said this? Zeresh to to Haman. You are going to fall in their in their wake. In other words, Nashika Atar. But the Torah brings me up, brings me out of that dirt and dust and, and nothingness. So you see it. Everybody says that. He, when Avraham said, he meant, I can talk. If I didn't think I could talk, I would look. Then he says, I know that I'm off of Afer. But the knowledge that he's off of Eifer doesn't stop him from talking. So this is, so, so, so the Tevet Shlomo sees that there is this duality, this kind of, uh, um, you know, give and take or front and back in davening that you have to recognize. Line 18. You see, he was, he was becoming more and more chutzpahdik. Uh, fifty, uh, he said, oh, fifty, that's a big number. But then he said, if there's not fifty, maybe forty, maybe thirty, maybe ten, that's real chutzpah. He says, You see, it's line twenty-one. He says, that's what tefillah is. First, you have to stress the humility in you, the nothingness of you. And then, the fact that from that humility, you realize that you have the power of tefillah. And he says it's like building a house. First, you dig a hole, you get rid of the dirt, then you put in the foundations, and once you put in the foundations, you could build a very, very tall building. He says, Adla Shamayim. Adla Shamayim is like a metaphor on davening. Right? That the building that you're building is tefillah. You're, you have this ability... You have this ability to daven. Ad l'shamayim. V'zeh perush mizmoshir chanukat habayit le'david. That's why we start davening. And we say, mizmoshir chanukat habayit. 
to Lidavid. The bayit is the tefillah that we daven. And just like building a bayit, you have to dig down deep into the ground and then put in the foundation, so too we recognize the fact that when we come to daven, davening consists of these two elements, right? The, the down and the up. I have to recognize my capacity in both of these elements. So, uh, where am I? 27, right? Eilech Hashem Ekra. Ma betza bidami b'ridithi al shachat hayodicha afar. There's all these psukim that indicate that in order to approach God, you have to go down into the dirt. Do tamua ma'od, the my hava midal adam shielo revach shievola shachat. Why, why does the Pesach say you have to go down into the dirt, into the mud, into the grime? And what's the greater advantage that vegetables is? What do I get from that? Because he's able to turn around in his thinking. If I become, if I become mired in the in the dirt, if I if I can only think of myself as being worthless, then I'm certainly not going to be able to daven, because davening, davening, even though even though you may feel a tremendous need. You may feel that that uh, the life is difficult at a particular moment, but making the request is—I uh, mean, I don't like to—I don't like to do it. I'll do it anyway, right? You know that when you petition the king. I don't know how many of you ever petitioned. Maybe Reggie Gideon has petitioned the queen. Uh, I, I don't know, but when you petition the king. Isn't it true that the hard part is getting in? You know, it's like, well, it's like fundraising. <laughs> it's like fundraising. If, if they'll see you, that's more than half the battle. Right? It's hard, just hard to get in. So, so when you dive in, what are you saying? You're saying, I'm here to petition God. I'm, I'm standing before God. So that, obviously, you have a high opinion of yourself. So even if you realize that compared to God, you're nothing, but you understand that in order to daven, you're emphasizing the something of you and not the nothing of you. And that's what, that's what davening needs. But in order to do that, you have to first recognize the fact that compared to God, you're really nothing. On the other hand, you're standing before God, which makes you really something. And that's what the uh, that's what the Teferish uh, the Teferish Lema is talking about. So then he goes on and he says, if you look at uh, again line thirty six, That means that we expect. Divine support in our effort to daven. 
Because if we only think about the fact that we did our various, if we only think about the fact that we transgressed, then we're not going to be able to daven. You know, we can't think that we are failures or that we have no merit. If we think that, then then we can't do anything. So our Kodesh Bosa is going to help us to think well of ourselves. And line 38, that you have to put aside the fact that you did these transgressions. Not that you don't have a cheshbon. Not that in heaven they don't know that you did these averes and you don't have to do tshuva. You don't have to do something. Of course you have to do something. But for the moment, you see, people are bifurcated. They're like what they did, but they're also what they could be at the same time. And so tefillah is not about what I did, but it's what about it's about what I could be. And when I think about what I could be, I know that that's what Hakadosh Baruch Hu is looking for when I go to David. What I could be and not what I did, right? So now he goes on and says, "The Tafashev another pasuk, line forty-one, Al Tivtichu ba'aluf kidrashat chachamenu zal." You know, in order to do this goodness, in order to be on top of it, you can't be humble. Right, that's truma. That's our parasha. That everybody should give the same amount. On the one hand, you have to know who you really are. On the other hand, you have to act as though you were somebody else. And that makes sense. Line 50. Right? Right? That's what she said to Mordechai. She says, I gotta get, I gotta get dressed. What was she going to do? She's gonna say, well, my, my people are being destroyed. She went bilavus. She says, Eilavo bilavusak. Heinevatsvut, you can't go unhappily. Olachach vatilvash ester malchut vatamod vachatzabait amelachapnimit. Vinea chachamima yuroim shemodachai lovesh sak. And that's why Esther wanted to bring Mordechai clothes. Mordechai was sitting there in a sackcloth and, and in Avelut because he heard what Haman had planned on doing to B'nai Yisrael. So the Tvesh Lohi says, well, I mean, the people looked at him and they said, he's not going to be able to govern for us. Because, because that's what that's what Avelut is. And you may, un- you may have heard that what's the din of an Onain? What's the din of an Onain? He can't do mitzvahs. He can't do mitzvahs. In other words, he can't, he, he's in a certain state where to interact with heaven is beyond him. But slowly, little by little, that's what, that's what happens during the days of Avelut. You come back. You become a more regular person where you understand that 
that there's punishment in the world, but there's also glorious achievement in the in the same world. So he, he goes on and he says, uh, 53, you got it? And I said, what happens at the end of Megillat Esther? What's the last thing that happens to Mordechai? He gets the clothing of Haman. Right? He becomes, he becomes the clothing, the person wearing the clothing of Haman. So what did Tveret Shlomo say? He had his powers back. He had his powers. Uh, what powers did he have? The power of tefillah. The power of tefillah, because you can't have the power of tefillah if you don't think highly of yourself. Right? You have to know, on the one hand, what your limitations are, but you have to think that you're standing before God. And standing before God is like saying, I'm a very important person. So, uh, a little bit more. Uh, line 61. <speaking in Hebrew> So I understand that the joy of davening or the joy that I get from davening is because I'm going to be effective in doing good things for Klal Yisrael. Uh, line 68. That God wants us to be, to think poorly of ourselves, but grandly about ourselves as, as being able to pray, being able to convince heaven of whatever it is that we petition about. All he says, psukim after psukim after psukim, and then he gets to what we're interested in in particular today. Line 82. See line 82? Line 82, the last words. This is what it means when it says in the Gemara, and then it says it in the Zohar, and it says it wherever it else it says it. Luchot luchot munachim ba'aron. Luchot v'shivrei luchot. What do luchot represent? The grandeur of tefillah. The greatness. The standing before God and shivrei luchot represent transgression and inability to function in the world properly. That's luchot v'shivrei luchot. And that's what we're talking about. L'zichron ha'onot ha'onot sh'az Ledor ha midvar hayu lezichron maaseh ha'egel. 
And this is the Pasuk in Devarim Perik Ted Pasuk Zayin. If you look on the first page, Zachar Tishkach et Hashem Ktsafta et Hashem Elokecha Bidvar Lemin Ayom Asher Etzad Meretz Yisrael Matbarach Hev Mokom Azeh Ma'amim Ayitim Im Hashem. What exactly is talking about? Ubecholev Ktsafta et Hashem. But at Har Sinai, you made God especially angry. What is that? That's the Chet Ha'Egel. That's Cholev, that's Harsinai, that's the Chet Ha'Egel. So we look back at the Teveret Shlomo. The Teveret Shlomo says, Listen, V'zeh ha-kavana ha-luchot v'shirei luchot munachim ba-aron. 83, line 83. Da-aron hu-kinui la-lev, as it says in the Zohar HaKadosh, shirei luchot hu Lizichron Avonot Shaz Ledor Hamidbar Hayu Lizichron Mase Haegel. Zachoshek Tzafta, that possum that we just read. Vachshav Yesh Lechol Adam Yoter, the Yoter Avonot. Lidor Hamidbar Ki Adua, Lechain Munachim Baaron. So, According to the Tveret Shlomo, after the Chaita Egel, the Aron HaKodesh changed. What should the Aron HaKodesh have been? It should have been the place, the, the, the object that enabled everybody to daven. Instead, what happens when you get to the Kodesh Kodeshim? You go in and in further, it is further. Okay, you don't go. Only the Kohen Gadol goes on Yom Kippurim. But in, in your mind you can go to the Kodesh Kodeshim. In your mind you can go and see the Aron HaKodesh. So when you get to that point where the connection to God is most available and it's most obvious to us that you could pray, at that point you have to overcome the limitation that's described by the Tiferet Shlomo. Which means, right, what's the, 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 the limitation is me. The limitation is me. That I am, I have to somehow be able to say that even though I committed the greatest sin in all history, the Chaita Ego, and even though there's no Kapara, because the Torah says that there's no Kapara, there's no, over time, there's no kapara for the Chaita Ego. But in every generation we pay the price of the Chaita Ego somehow. No kapara. But in spite of the fact that there's no kapara for the Chaita Ego, I can doubt it anyway. And that's what it means. That's what we mean when we have the Luchot and the Shivre Luchot in the heart of things. The heart where your uh, uh, deepest, most profound emotional understanding rests where you understand who you are. When you stand before HaKadosh Bocho, essentially you're naked. There's nothing to hide. There's no place to hide. Right? Everybody hides all the time. Everybody hides all the time in shul. In shul, I never, I never heard anybody say in any shul that I davened in in all my life, which... It's not like, you know, as long as it might be, but it's not that short either. I've never heard anybody say, excuse me, vote for me, I'm running for the best davener in the neighborhood. I never heard anybody say that. 
I heard people say, I'm running for president of the shoe. Vote for me. Now, can you imagine anything as jarring and as disparate as going to shul and having somebody ask you to vote for him because he's running for election? I can't. I can't think of anything that says, as, so that, that that's shul. That shul, shul protects, the way shuls run today is that they protect us from admitting who we are. But when you stand before Kodesh Bocha, the Aaron Kodesh, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to cover up. So that the, the, the luchos, the broken tablets in us, are, are, are clear to us. We can't fool ourselves standing before HaKadosh Baruch. And yet, in spite of the fact that we are broken luchot, nevertheless, we are able to call upon the strength, some strength within, within ourselves and and turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Dab. And where does that strength come from? This is not in the Teferi Shlomo, in my opinion. Where does the, the strength come from? It comes from the Torah. It is the bridge. What is it that takes me from the Luchos HaShavuros, from the broken tablets, which are me, to the whole tablets? After all, it was Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael broke the tablets. When Moshe Rabbeinu came down from High City, he said, who can I give them? There's no one to give it to. There's, there's no one to give, you know, this process can't exist. So he broke the tablets. Like saying, you know, you know, like Moshe, like Avram Avinu, when he took Yitzhak up to, uh, to be sacrificed. So he says, so the angel said to, to Avram Avinu, Al Tazbo Ma'uma. Al Tazbo Ma'uma. And the Chazal say, Rashi quotes, don't make a blemish. You know, as Avram Avinu said, how could it be? How could it be that God sends me to sacrifice my son and I'm not going to sacrifice my son? I mean, he didn't look at it as a, as a reprieve according to this Chazal. According to Chazal, Avram was non-kidar begin. Avram Avinu said, God wants me to sacrifice Yitzchak. I'm going to sacrifice Yitzchak. I don't have any problem with that. Ah, what about the future? What about the children? What about the generations? What's going to be? That's God's problem. I'm safe. That's Avram Avinu. So Avram Avinu heard the angels say, don't do it. And Avram Avinu said, there must be some trick here. And he said, maybe if I put a blemish in my son, like I, I cut off his earlobe, or I make a little cut around his eye, something that becomes a scar which would render him unfit for being a korban, then I won't sacrifice him. And so the angel says to Avram Avinu, you don't get it. Don't do a thing. Don't do a thing because God's directive is there. So I always think of that when I think of Moshe Rabbeinu coming down with the Luchot. Like he's in a hopeless situation. Why does he have the Luchot? He has the Luchot to give them to B'nai Yisrael. So he wants to save B'nai Yisrael. He, Moshe Rabbeinu. Can you imagine? They're all dancing around at the Chaita Egel, having a good time, whining and dining and doing, you know, crazy things. And here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He shows up with the Luchot. Can you imagine how, like, everybody's looking at him, like, uh, like where'd you come from? 
So Moshe Abdenu made a cheshbon. He said, if I keep these luchot, I have nobody to give them to. Then that will be forever a blight that can't be cured. But if I throw down the luchot and break them, then I don't have to give them to anybody. I mean, okay, I did something wrong, maybe. I mean, maybe I'll be taken to task. But B'nai Yisrael cannot be taken to task for not receiving the luchot, because I broke them. So the broken luchot, the broken luchot represent Moshe Rabbeinu's inability to complete the job. He wasn't able to give it over to B'nai Yisrael. And that remains with us. That remains with us. But the difference is that after the Luchot, you know some opinions say that, that according to the original plan, there would only be maybe Torah there wouldn't have to be Torah but the Torah the learning of Torah, it's what bridges the gap. It bridges the gap between the Luchos Hashvurot and the Luchot Hashlemot. It, it purifies me. It purifies me. Even the Torah says, you know, there's no, you can't do tshuva. You can't do tshuva of the chayta ego. Okay, you can't do tshuva of the chayta ego, but you can learn Torah. And so the Torah became part of, of the luchot because the Torah was a bridge. Then the machloket Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir, the machloket Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir was, does the Aaron HaKodesh represent the original that somehow, that somehow uh, uh, the luchot, the luchot uh, uh, take up all the room, and the sefer Torah has to be put outside, or oh, is it somehow known always that you need the sefer Torah in order to bridge the gap between yourself, between who you are, and who you and who you might be? So I think that uh, that the tzeveret shlomo is helpful, uh, helping the understanding why it is that the Sefer Torah was in the Aaron Kodesh, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu to keep the broken Luchot, and not to, not to just throw them away and replace them with the second Luchot, and that the broken Luchot stay with us, and the Kapara, the Kapara, the atonement for the broken Luchot, is Talmud Torah, and that's why Talmud Torah is such an unreasonable mitzvah. Because Talmud Torah is not a mitzvah for people who are going to become Torah professionals, rabbis or dayanim. Of course they have to learn Torah. Of that there's no question, but it's interesting that it's, a, that it's a democratic mitzvah. That everybody has to learn Torah. Why does everybody have to learn Torah? I mean, most people learn Torah. They don't, you know, I wouldn't say their accomplishments are so, so unique. Nevertheless, Torah, Talmud Torah is a purifying element. Purifying in the sense that it ennobles us and enables us, ennobles and enables us to stand before God and to daven. And if you think as the Radomska thought, that davening is the highest expression of your humanity, not because of what you say necessarily, but because you're standing before God. I mean, what could be greater than that? Right? Lahabda, like standing before the king, or standing before, you know, a great king. We don't have too many great kings left. But Luyatsuya, standing before, if you're at the inner circle with the great king, you're really a special person. So that the, the Arom,
became that which symbolized it was not just a place to keep the Luchot Habrit, but it became the symbol, <coughs> the symbol of, of uh, our ability to overcome our limitation through Talmud Torah and in turn be able to, to daven. Because davening, at least according to the Radomsker, davening is not just something that simple people can do well because they don't have complicated philosophical issues. But davening is an expression of overcoming the limitations that each one of us carries around with them. Right? And if you and it all goes back, I mean the code for those limitations, for that that inclination to transgression, the code for that is Heta Ego. That's the code for it. That B'nai Yisrael were able at that time, at that situation, in that situation, to do the Chaita Ego, that <coughs> is the mother of all Averis. So that whatever we think of ourselves, we can understand that in terms of the Chaita Ego, the Luchos, the Shivrei Luchos, that's the lave, that's the heart of us. We live with this, with this kind of constant uh, back and forth which can be solved through Talmud Torah and which will enable us to dive into the boy. Have a good Shabbos.